Father, thank you today for the opportunity to stand before these, your people. This is your church. Lord, you knew this word would be shared today. So God, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to receive the things that you have for us this particular Sunday. God, I thank you that uh, we are set free. We can walk in freedom because of what Jesus Christ did for us at Calvary. We bless you, Father. Thank you that every bondage, every addiction, every stronghold is broken off of our lives because of the finished work. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. His work was finished. We are set free. So God, open our eyes to see, God, that we can be free, that we can walk in that freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what we're looking at, again, uh, if you were here last week, I said this, that this is kind of a spinoff series uh, from the Freedom Series. We did uh, that Jesus has set us free. It was called Freedom. Uh, so this is kind of a spinoff, and it's th- calling this, this spinoff the truth about you. And uh, this is what we're talking about. This truth is one of the greatest truths uh, that you can ever have. And when you get, when you have the more understanding you have on this truth, uh, the greater degree of freedom that you can walk in. I promise you that. How many of you recall in John's gospel, John chapter 8, there's a verse in there that talks about something setting us free. What is that? Well, that's right. The truth will set us free. And most of us, a lot of us have heard that verse before. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. But, you know, in one of the first things you learn in Bible interpretation is uh, to look, you know, who, who is writing it, who are they writing it to, and uh, the time that they wrote it in. And again, John, again, he, he wrote this. And it would really help to understand that you'll, you know, what Jesus was saying when he said, it was Jesus who said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so if we look in John's gospel, um, before we read the passage of scripture that I want us to see, I want you to see this. Uh, again, just, just looking at, let's just say what, what is going on in, in, uh, in uh, John chapter 8. Uh, it starts off there uh, that Jesus is going up to the temple. He came to Mount Olives. He went up to the temple. And then it's about verse 3. It starts the, these Pharisees brought in this woman who was caught in adultery. And I think we, a lot of us have this question is, where's the dude? You know, brought the woman. She wasn't having adultery by herself. So where's the guy? So a lot of times the, the Pharisees always tried to ask Jesus questions and try to do things to put him on, ask him these, these gotcha questions. And they, so they, they brought her, what, what do we do with her? And of course, Jesus, he stoops down, he writes something in the dust and he gets up, you know, and he, he asked him this question. He said, he, or he told him this, he said, let him without sin cast the first stone. And wisely, they, they began setting down their stones. The old, for some reason, it does let us know the older gentlemen set their stones down first, and then the youth, they set their second, so set their, their, their stones down also. And then, again, as you read through John chapter 8 here, like in, in verse 13, this is the, the living Bible that says, the Pharisees replied, you're making those claims about yourself. Such a testimony is not valid. So they're challenging Jesus. So all here in John chapter 8, there's this back and forth with the, the Pharisees and Jesus. And again, remember, Jesus was in the temple, and he wasn't the only one. Uh, I mean, so the Pharisees probably weren't the only ones around. There were people there daily that went at the ninth hour. So I'm sure there was other people that was around there. And it says in verse 30, in verse 30, it says, and Jesus said this to those who believed in him. Because many, it said, many believed in him. From this conversation, this back and forth, they were watching this, 
this back and forth with Jesus and the Pharisees, and it says that many put their faith in Jesus Christ, listening to what he had to say. And then Jesus said to those people, look, here's verse 31, it says, Jesus said to those people who believed in him. Now, those are the ones that, that, just, that have just recently, I'm, I'm sure through this interaction with the Pharisees, they're, they're like, yes, I believe, yes, I, I, I see what this guy is saying, I believe what Jesus is saying. And Jesus said this to those, he said, you're truly my disciples. You're truly my disciples if you just claim to be my disciples. No, that's not what he said, is it? You're truly my disciple if you wear the right clothes. No, it's not what he said. He said, you're truly my disciples. Now remember, a disciple was a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, uh, as a rabbi, as a teacher, he had disciples. He chose his 12 disciples, and other people could become a follower of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist had his disciples. Uh, remember, Jesus' disciples came to Jesus one day and said, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. And that's when Jesus said to his disciples, okay, when you pray, pray after this manner, our Father which art in heaven. And he taught them that, that way to pray. So rabbis, and that, the custom was they had followers. And Jesus was telling these people who just, they, they just believe now, they, they're saying, I, we agree with what you're saying. We think you're speaking the truth. And he's, Jesus says, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. If you remain faithful to my teaching, well, what were his teachings? Well, it's all the things that Jesus taught. Jesus taught kingdom principles. Jesus taught a kingdom worldview. So what's your worldview? What kind of worldview? Do you have a secular worldview? Do you have a kingdom worldview? What's your worldview? Jesus said that we're his disciples if we, if we have a kingdom worldview, if we do, if we're faithful to do his teachings. And then what's going to be the result of that? The result of that, the benefit of it, if you, if, you're, if you follow him and you're faithful to his teachings, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And there's, there, there's so many people, and it just ridiculous how, how crazy people can be. Right after Jesus said that, the, the Pharisees chimed in again. We don't have, won't have this on the screen, just again further in, in John chapter 8. They said, free? What do you mean set us free? We've never been in bondage to anyone. I mean, oh, you want to rip your clothes, burn some ashes, or do something. I mean, they've never been in bondage to anyone. They're, the Pharisees, they memorized the, 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 the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Exodus. I think they were in bondage to the Egyptians. I think they were in bondage to the Babylonians. I think they were in bondage to the Syrians. Right when they said that, they're in bondage to Rome. <laughs> We've never been in bondage to anyone. And there's a lot of Christians today that don't know that they're still bound up. They're set free. The chains have been taken off, but they still walk around with the chains. It's kind of like that elephant, you know, going around the stump just because they've always done some of this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bound. This is just the way, this is just as far as I can go. Why? Because that's just what people are used to. But we are set free. No bondage, no addiction, nothing. Nothing has power over our life because of what Jesus Christ did for us. It sounds like from what this verse is saying is that you're set free more by doing than what than just simply hearing. It kind of coincides with what James said in James 121. It says, don't, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it said. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. We must be doers of the word of God. That's a really an aha moment right there. 
That really is, that again, we don't, we, it's not just hearing that makes us disciples, it's doing, it's being faithful to what Jesus tells us to do. And it's not, well, I'm faithful to most of the things. Honey, if you know there's some things that you're not being faithful in, you need, you know, it's one thing to be ignorant of it, but it's another thing to know that I'm living wrong, I'm doing wrong, I'm acting wrong, I treated this person wrong, and, and well, they just made me mad. You better get that right, because that's not being faithful to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. This great truth, again, that, that we're talking about is who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ. Understanding your place in Christ is the greatest determining factor. Listen to me. Understanding who you are in Christ is the greatest determining factor of you walking in your freedom. Walking free of bondage and sin and addiction and strongholds. You know, sins need to be repented of. Strongholds need to be broken. Strongholds are just sins that have been allowed to remain in our life. We just, and we repent. We do them again and again and again. They become a stronghold in our life. There's, there's iniquities that have been passed down to the third and the fourth generations that our fathers and our grandfathers perhaps did. That those things can be passed down. We're free from those things. We're free. We're free from the curse. Amen? Amen. Listen, this, you know, we said last week that there's, there's verses that locate us in the Bible. Did you know that there's also verses that locate us in the Bible before we came to Christ? Let me give you, let me give you an example. We, this was... You may remember this from when we did earlier this year. We did a study in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. This is the message Bible says. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant way of sin, that life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. Now, here, let me stop right there for just a second. You can just leave that up on the screen. Uh, Again, sometimes people, well, that's not me. I didn't inhale. You know, I, I never inhaled, you know. <laughs> people don't recognize sometimes some of the things that they're, they're in bondage to. And we look, we get so sometimes locked down. Well, I didn't do that. I didn't, I didn't exhale disobedience. I was, again, I told you before, man, I was raised in church. I mean, I was born on a pew in a Baptist church. I don't remember not going to church. I mean, there, that doesn't mean I never miss church, but I mean, I, I was raised in that. But there were still times I was disobedient. There were still times I failed and had to repent for the things that I did. It's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper, doesn't lose his temper, and do away with a whole lot of us. Verse 5 says this, he took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. That's who we were. That locates us before Christ. Before we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's who we were. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We read this verse last week, but it, it, it's, a, it's a verse that I, I, I want to read it again. It's a, it's a great here you are scripture. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17. This is a great verse because it really leads us here at CityGate Church into who we are and what we're supposed to be doing as his church. Again, 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then verse 18, it says that we've been reconciled to God, and now we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20 says that we are his ambassadors, we are his representatives, and on and on. But I love this verse here, that if, any for, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let me drive this in just a little harder. The Adams translation says this, brand new things have come. 
When you've got in Christ, brand new things have come. The 20th century translation says, therefore, if any person is in union with Christ, he is a new being. The old life passed away. The new life has begun. The Amplified, we read this last week, but again, it'll bear repeating. Won't hurt anybody. Therefore, if any person is engrafted into Christ, remember that skin being engrafted, we're engrafted into Christ, the Messiah. Talking about us, we are new creations, new creatures altogether. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and the new has come. Listen, don't ever let that become old to you. Don't ever let that become old news to you. Yeah, 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 I've heard that before. I'm telling you, because if it's old to you, then it's not real to you. Praise God. Listen, listen to what Paul said. What Paul said in uh, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, 13. This is the uh, New King James Version. Because we couldn't really understand. The, the, old, the King James was just hard to understand this verse. The Old King James, let me tell you what it says. The Old King James, how many of you, King James is hard to, to catch. I mean, it's hard to read, isn't it? It said the old one, the King James says this, Christ hath redeemed us. Half? What's half mean? Oh, we're smarter than that, aren't we? Christ, let's bring it simplified for us. Christ has redeemed us. Oh, so half is has in, in modern days. You got that right. You know I'm joking. But Christ, it really doesn't even have to say has, but because it redeemed is redeemed. Is that, is that future tense? He redeemed us. Is it present tense? Is he redeeming us? No, it's something that's already done. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. I want you to catch three powerful statements that we can see in that one verse right there. Number one is this, that we have been redeemed. We have been redeemed. Secondly is this, that we're redeemed from the law. And really more, more exact, we're redeemed from the curse of the law. We're redeemed from the curse of the law. And if you're not sure exactly what the curse of the law is, well, just go read. We won't take time to do it today, but write this down. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14. Talks about the blessings from obeying the law. Verses 15 through 66 is the curse. That's a lot more, isn't it? 1 to 14, 15 to 66. It's a, it was some bad, bad, bad stuff that comes from breaking that. But the Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us. Christ has redeemed us. It's something that he's already done. And the third statement is this, what we've been redeemed by, and that's Jesus' precious blood. Thank God for that. You know, there's, a, there's a, a line, a saying that I heard about 34 years ago. And I, it's just as real to me today as it was when I first heard it. And it's something that F.F. F. Bosworth said. Uh, and he said, faith begins where the will of God is known. We can't, we can't have faith if we don't know what God's will is. We can't have faith for God's will if we don't know what God's will is. Faith begins, remember the Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God, for the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith. We can't walk by faith unless we know what, again, God's word says. And it helps us to walk in faith if we understand something about our righteousness and redemption. It helps us, let me say that again, it helps us to understand walking in our, in our understanding, having an understanding of righteousness and redemption. Paul said this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans 1, 16, this is again the New King James Version. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, again, when we understand, when we understand righteousness, we'll understand this, that it has nothing to do with anything that we did or could ever do. Our righteousness has nothing to do how good you are, how good you could be one day. It has nothing to do with that. Romans 5.17 again says, we receive the abundance of grace. Romans 5.17, we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. We receive the righteousness from the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us, as it, if it were, if you would imagine him taking his robe of righteousness off, and we have a sin robe. We took off the sin robe. He puts the robe of righteousness on us, and he puts on our sin robe and goes to the cross for us. Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus did, he did for you and me and set it to our credit. That's how that works. Just as if, just as if we had never done it. We're justified. You know what justified means? It means just if I'd never sinned. Why? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross, took my sins, took your sins, and we are justified. There's a three process that comes. is justification, sanctification. Sanctification means being set apart. We're, we're already justified. If you're a born-again Christian, you're already justified. Now you're, you're, you're set apart. You're in a sanctifying process. And that's, that's, in that sanctifying process is what we're doing in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where we, we transform our mind, we transform our thinking. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. That's in that sanctification. And one day, the final stage will be glorified. We get to heaven, we get glorified bodies. So justified, sanctified, and one day we'll be glorified. Get everything that Jesus did, he did for us. Notice the, notice the progression in this. Substitution. Jesus became our substitute. Identification. We identified with him. And now union with Christ. Now we're in union with Christ. We're engrafted in Christ. It's important, again, for us to be able to distinguish the example of Jesus and the substitution of Jesus. The exemplary, the, the work, being an example for us in the substitutionary work that Jesus did for us. Let me give you an example I'm talking about. The example of, uh, the example of Jesus in suffering, in this we follow his example. Jesus set us an example how to handle it when we're persecuted. When things come against us, when the enemy attacks us, Jesus set us an example. We followed an example. Remember when Satan came in the wilderness and tried to get him to tempt, what did Jesus do? He set the example for us. It is written. It is written. It is written. With every temptation that came, he quoted the word back. That's our example. When we're tempted, when we fall into those things, what do we do? It is written. It is written. So it would be really good if we've hidden the word of God into our heart, amen, so we wouldn't sin against God. Now, again, so the example of Jesus' suffering, we follow him as our example. In the substitution of Jesus' suffering, we don't follow him in this because in this he was taking our place. In other words, I don't have to die for my sins, so I don't have to die for that because Jesus already did. I don't have to pay for my sins because Jesus already paid. So I'm not going, I don't have to follow him in that. So again, do you see the difference between Jesus as our example and Jesus as our substitute? Very important. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. 
Romans 4, 25, New Living Translation says, He has handed over, he was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. Jesus, again, Jesus has given us his standing. He's given us his standing. He's letting us share his place with God. On the cross, that happened. Listen to these statements here. In him, we're free from the power and the control of sin. True or not true? It's true. Everything is true. In him, we can have confidence in the presence of God. True or false? True. In him, we can have boldness, not only in his presence, but in the presence of the enemy who comes to accuse us, who comes to condemn us. True or false? True. In him, we're free from guilt and shame. True. Free from inferiority and unworthiness. That's true. Listen, there's, there's times... You can, you can grow. You can grow in faith. You can grow in love. You can grow in holiness. The Bible says, God says, be ye holy even as I'm holy. Anybody got there yet? Anybody as holy as God yet? No. So we've got some work to do. But again, he sells us to, he says, be holy as I am holy. So evidently he tells us something that we can do. So we're working on that. We can work and we can grow in, in faith. Jesus talked about, oh, you have little faith. He talked about people of great faith. I've not seen so great faith. No, not in all of Israel, he said to the centurion. So we can grow in faith. And, uh, of course, we can grow in love. Anybody grow? Can, how many of you are still growing in love? I hope you are. So, again, we can grow in love and faith and holiness, but not in righteousness. You'll never be any more righteous than the moment that you got born again. Now, that's hard for sometimes for our little peanut brain to understand. But Jesus gave us his righteousness. Can he be any more righteous? He couldn't. And he gave us that righteousness. So you can't be any more righteous than you are the moment that you get born again. You say, well, how can I, how can I think some of the thoughts that I think? Well, you're righteous, but you just need to be more holy. <laughs> you know, when we go on an airplane... You know, there's those first five or six re- seats that you go on the airplane, and when you pass them by, what, what, what section is that? That's called the first class. Paula's looking at me. She's smiling. She knows what I'm going to say. Because <laughs> every time we get on a plane, every time, every time, Paula says, every time we get on the plane, when she's walking, she's walking in front of me, because I'm a gentleman. I let my wife go first. And I'm, I'm coming behind her. As we're going through first class, I lean up to her and I say, you know what we are? Peasants on parade. Because that's the way they look at you when you walk by. Peasants on parade. We're we're heading to third class, fourth class, all the way back. The worst seat on the airplane is the last row up against the wall that your seat doesn't recline. That's That's the worst seat. But listen... Thank God in righteousness, there is no second class. There's only one class, and that's Jesus' class, and he gave us, he gave us that. You peasants on parade. Next time you get on, just think of that. You're walking through, you're peasants on parade. <laughs> Praise God. The moment, the moment, the moment that we get saved, at that instant, we're made, we're made righteous. You're made to reign in this life because of the grace and because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we get a revelation, 
when we get a revelation of our righteousness, and, and let me tell you, this is, this is one reason that we ought to pray those Ephesians prayers, especially that one in, in chapter 1, where he says, I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray that he would open the eyes of our understanding, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge about us and who we are and who we are in Christ. When we get that revelation of righteousness, and we, we'll see it will affect every area of our life. That's including your prayer life. When you understand how righteous you are, you understand what comes with that and the benefits. Listen, here's one of the benefits. James 5, 16 and the Amplified says this, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. The prayers of a righteous man makes power it's powerful. Power's available, dynamic, and it's working. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15 when he was talking about the vine and the branches. And this is the good word, John, uh, John 15, verse 7, good word translation. If you live in me and what I say lives in you, then you will ask anything you want and it will be yours. Now, that's a good verse to get a hold of, isn't it? How many of you that have kids that you, know, you want them to walk around just feeling defeated and feeling like a failure. Of course you don't. And God doesn't want us to either. 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal possession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Let me give you a couple other translations of that. This is the New Life translation. It says, we thank God for the power Christ has given us he leads us and makes us win in everything. There's a translation called the Barclay, and it says, God, through us, displays in every place the fragrance of the knowledge of himself. One more translation, the Weymouth translation says, wherever I go, thank God he makes my life a constant pageant of triumph in Christ. See, Paul knew he went through difficulties, and he knew that you and I would go through difficulties as well. And then Paul said this, and in those verses, here's what he's saying, I keep smelling like the victory of Jesus. I keep smelling like the victory of Jesus. Some people have been through some, some rough times. They've been some rough times, and they, go, and they come out and they smell rough. They've been through rough times, and again, they smell like they've been through some rough times. Again, you smell like it sometimes, just the things that people say, words that come out of their mouth. But again, God wants us to come out of those things triumphant in Christ. Triumphant in Christ. Remember the um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, some people wanted to get, him in, get, get them in trouble. They didn't like him, so they had the king make this ordinance that uh, when you play music throughout the kingdom, when any time the music is played, through the loudspeakers. Whenever they're played, uh, everybody has to stop what they're doing and bow down and worship you. And if they don't, because they knew Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down. They knew that they were getting trouble. And sure enough, when the, when the music was played, they refused to bow down. They called them in before the king. The king liked them. He said, look, man, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to give you one more chance. We're going to play some music here, and you bow down and, and worship my, my, my image. And, uh, and they said, no, we're not going to bow down. The king got mad. He said, look, he said, I'm, gonna, I'm throwing you in the furnace. They said, look, he said, I don't care. I don't care what you do, what you do. We're not going to bow down and we're going to worship you. We're going to throw you in the furnace. They said, we don't care. Our God is able to deliver us. And it made him so mad, he heated the oven up seven times hotter. It was so hot that when they opened the doors to throw the three Hebrew children in there, it says that the guards, they, they, they died because of the heat was so, so hot. They hadn't even got in there yet. And he threw them in there, and they're in there, and they shut the door. 
And the king, he, I don't know, they must have had this plexiglass or something because he looked through the door and he looked in there and he said, he said, didn't we throw three in there? He said, looks like there's four of them in there and one of them looks like the son of God. <laughs> and they opened the door and they called them out. <laughs> it was, I, I just would have loved it if they said, no, we're going to stay in here a little bit longer. It's kind of nice. <laughs> but they came out and it said they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Man, that's coming through triumphant. We can go through trials. We can go through tests with the enemy means to knock us out. But man, we come out smelling like a rose. And what happened? The king said, their God, that's the God that we're going to worship. You know, it, it was the, the enemy, the devil. He just, man, let's throw these kids in there. Let's get them burned up. You know what it was? It was a big whoops. You ever had a whoops? <laughs> a whoops day? That was a whoops day for the devil. <laughs> he made a mistake by doing that because it turned around, not like he had expected it to. So what is it, what is it, what does it, uh, What's it take to come out like that? What's it take to come out smelling like a rose? What's it take to come out triumphant? I think it living in a consciousness and a confession of who you are in Christ. Confess who you are in Christ. And listen, don't, don't be afraid of that word confession. You know, don't let people put, put some label on you where you're part of that name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. But doesn't the Bible say, let the weak say that I'm strong? Let the poor say that I'm rich? So we're just, all we're doing when we're making confessions, we're just confessing what the Word of God says about us. There's no higher form of prayer, there's no higher form of prayer than when we pray God's Word back to Him. We put God in remembrance of His Word, not because He forgets it, but because we forget it sometimes. And when we hear ourselves saying God's Word, it reminds us of the promises of God. Uh, Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast to your confession of hope or confession of faith. Hold fast to that. Why do, why do you think that we're told to hold, hold on tight to that? Because the enemy's going to kind of trump come and he's going to try to loosen your grip and take that promise away from you. But he can't do it if we'll hold on to it. How did you get saved, by the way? Being a blabbit grabbit, being a confessionist. Hebrews, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 10 says this, if you would confess with your mouth, that's the only way I know to confess something, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes, uh, believes uh, the person believes in resulting in righteousness and with his mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. I don't know where I got this, but I saw it and I, I, I wrote it down. Speaking, speaking the word of God is one way of expressing the kind of faith which pleases God. Let me say that again. Speaking the word of God is one way of expressing the kind of faith which pleases God. When we confess God's word, we're confessing what God says about our life. We're putting ourselves in agreement with him. I love that, that when we confess God's word, I'm just putting myself in agreement with God. I want us to close, and I want us to say these confessions together. Then they're going to be up here. I don't want to, I'm not going to say it. You repeat it after me. We're going to say these together. Are you, you guys ready? Go ahead and pull that up if you would. All right, let's say this together. Jesus is Lord over my spirit, my soul, and my body. Now, just for good measure, again, you see Philippians 2.9. That's where that came from. We didn't just make that up. That's what the word of God says. We're confessing his word. The second one, let's go with it. Jesus has been made unto me wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not want. My God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I did I lose some of you? Here we go. Last, next to the last one. I do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. I do not have a care. 
I am the body of Christ. I'm redeemed from the curse because Jesus bore my sickness and carried my diseases in his own body. By his stripes, I am healed. I forbid any sickness or disease to operate in my body. Every organ, every tissue in my body functions in the perfection in which God created it to function. I honor God and I bring glory to him in my body. Man, those are great things to say. Now, you know where that came from, right? I know they came from the word of God, but they came from that little book that I keep telling you about, prayers that avail much. This is in the front of the book and it's just personal confessions. All of those things and many more are in that book. I highly recommend you get the book prayers that avail much. There was three volumes out. You can get one, two, or three. You can get a commemorative edition. They have all of them in there. But there's so many good prayers to pray in there in all kind of different situations. And every one of them are just like these. It's the Word of God. The Scriptures are all listed there behind what we're confessing. We're just mirroring. We're just confessing and agreeing with what God says about us. Amen?